Welcome back to the Burning Phoenix podcast and hope you're having a great start of the new year. Happy new year to everybody and thanks for tuning in today. We are going to start this first episode of the year with, um, we have two big topics and then we have a little bit of a meditation. So we're going to talk about Hillsdale College and their courses and then we're going to talk about Jordan Peterson's speech about Logos at Ephesus. So those will be the main parts and then we're going to have a little bit of kind of an input for the year about a verse from Dante's Paradiso. So we're just going to jump right into it first with the Hillsdale College courses. Uh, we've been working on this for about a month now. It's really impressive. The quality is just it's just stellar and excellent. And um, there's a little thing about Hillsdale College, which is interesting, that they, when they were founded, like they were the first college in America who made discrimination illegal. So they were the first one who was that was open to everybody and with a bit of an irony that since they they were the first one to to um, to ban discrimination they also now not allowing any kind of quotas in their colleges based upon like uh, based upon uh, different uh, characteristics so uh, they are now kind of they're not getting any support from the government because of this but they still keep uh, standing on the same principle that they will not discriminate uh, ever. So that's a little bit of the historical background. And um, and then when it comes to the courses, so we've done four of them. Uh, we've done Dante's Divine Comedy by Stephen Smith. We've done the Genesis story, reading the biblical narratives by Justin Jackson. We've done the rise and fall of the Repub Roman Republic by Carl Jung and Kenneth Calvert. And we've done C.S. Lewis on Christianity by Michael Ward. So we're just going to say a little bit about these courses. So the first one, the Dante course, is, is excellent. Uh, if you are new to the comedy, it's great. And also if you've been through it one time or several times, it's also really nice because there are little nuggets, little extra insights and, and just enthusiasm of of Dr. Smith is also really kind of contagious as well in a very positive sense. Uh, he starts out, uh, I think we mentioned it before, but that uh, he just wants to ignite this little spark that could turn into a flame, which is one of those main metaphors in the Paradiso as well. And um, so, so, yeah, so that's that's the first course, Dante Divine Comedy, and then the Genesis story. This one is also really interesting to get some new perspectives and from someone who knows Hebrew and who knows also the rabbinic traditions so that's great Mr. Justin Jackson just two things to make made a note of was that uh, for example he, he talks about how the serpent in the Garden of Eden is mixing a truth and a lie when he talks about like the consequences of, of eating the fruits from the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil uh, which is also something that the, the demons in Dante's Inferno are doing they are saying mostly a truth and then they add a lie at the end and kind of that's how often uh, the kind of the demonic lies work they tell you lots of true stuff and then they add something to it that is a lie so that was just interesting to see that one in the Garden of Eden as well and then the other thing is about Joseph's dream so when he has this is kind of towards the end the last part of the Genesis when he has the dream about uh, like everyone who kind of bowing to him and then metaphorically it's all his brothers and also his parents. That dream makes all his brothers very angry towards him. And it's seen as a sort of suppression that he will become this authoritarian ruler that will, will be above and oppress the other ones. And 
that's why they don't like it. But then at the end of the story, you kind of see that the dream, it means something very different. That what they are expressing and what is metaphorically being expressed in the dream is the gratitude from his brothers and parents for the sustenance that he is giving. So it's not this authoritarian uh, having power over them, but it's just the... It's just a, an allegory, a kind of an image of, of gratitude. So that was a very interesting um, idea of how, the, how you, when you kind of read the story the first times, you might see it in the first way, but then there is a deeper truth beneath it. Okay, and then when the Roman Rep- uh, for the Roman Republic course, um, you have a couple of things standing out there as well. Uh, first one is... Just a big contrast between the Roman Republic, the first 500 years or so, and then the Roman Empire. Uh, And also then how much America and the founding fathers were basing the ideas and the the whole design of America on the Republic. Also because the Republic started as a city-state with Rome and then it conquered the whole of the Italian peninsula and then it, uh, it conquered the whole of the Mediterranean the Mare Nostrum, as they called it, which literally means uh, sea hours, like our sea. And they conquered the whole of Mare Nostrum, the Mediterranean, in just 53 years. So it's very interesting to look into the, the beginnings and the growth and then also the problems that come in the Roman Republic and how it ends. It might be especially pertinent now because one of the main ideas about the Roman Republic is that it falls because in part or in large part because of its own success. So this enormous success of the Roman Republic creates an enormous wealth and then very gradually or very quickly towards the end, uh, more and more corruption. And then you get the whole fall and descent into first a bit of chaos and then the tyranny and the empire. So it's, uh, it's very kind of illuminating and instructive to try to understand maybe some things that are happening in America as well, starting from like 13 small colonies on, on, the, on the coast <laughs> with just four or five million people and then conquering the whole of the continent in the 1800s and then in many ways conquering the whole of the planet, uh, at least culturally, maybe economically, politically in the 1900s. And then what we're seeing now might be at least we might learn some lessons and maybe see some patterns and dynamics in studying the Roman Republic. So that one is highly recommended as well. And then the last one was uh, C.S. Lewis on Christianity by Michael Ward. And it's a very, uh, it's a great introduction if you know nothing about C.S. Lewis. Uh, also to understand uh, kind of his, some of his main ideas about his reluctance and then gradually how he finds little portals and little bridges into understanding more of the biblical stories, more of the spiritual life, how he first becomes a theist when he's around 31 years old and then he becomes also a Christian when he's 33 years old. And then you also get a lot of history about those the inklings and his his conversations with J.R.R. Tolkien and and how and also the, the his college at uh, at Oxford and how this all kind of come came together eventually and then created his view of understanding uh, the, the spiritual and uh, it's uh, as a very <laughs> like this famous phrase that he was the most reluctant convert in the whole of England and um, it's just it's a great introduction so very well uh, articulated and just made 
Okay, so those were the four courses that we've now been through in December at uh, Hillsdale College. So all of them highly recommended. Maybe especially to understand today, I would say the Roman Republic and also just for our own deep, deep love of Dante and the Divine Comedy, but also all what is contained in Divine Comedy, that's also highly recommended. Okay, so that was the first part. And then we're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about Jordan Peterson and his uh, speech at Ephesus about the Logos. So this is a video, it's up on YouTube, and it's very impressive. He's standing at Ephesus, one of these ancient sites, beautiful old Greek architecture, and he makes a big speech about the Logos. So this is going to be a little bit of a mixed kind of review or comment on the speech, because it's really great to see him there kind of at the roots of the ancient Greek tradition in the beauty and then uh, focusing on giving attention to the logos at the same time there there are some aspects that become kind of clear and standing out as he's putting himself in kind of the shoes or in the context of the old greek giant philosophers and maybe most of all is that jordan peterson is still very much a sort of a scientific left hemisphere thinker. So it becomes more and more narrowed and that you have logic analysis and he's narrowing in on details almost like 80-90% of the time, which probably the old Greek thinkers, if they were sitting there and listening to him, they might have pointed out that there are other kind of bigger contexts, especially when you talk about Logos. As Logos is this very... It's supposed almost to be kind of ineffable in the sense that it is the, the intelligibility, is the understandableness, is the concept of understandableness, of being, existence. But it is almost and by nature, and not by definition, but by nature, a right hemispheric, um, it should be a blend of, of both hemispheres, but it, it becomes more like this holistic understanding of the whole that you can partly uh, uh, not decipher, but you can, you can analyze it and make little models and descriptions. And then you can create this, this uh, dynamic between your, your uh, more kind of unfiltered perception of the world and then that you can explain and understand and model some of it. But in Peterson's case, he goes too much into the left hemispheric approach to this. And um, we have some great discussions about this this week. Uh, one of our friends were writing here that, uh, that Peterson seems to get uh, tangled up in definitions and explaining various concepts without really linking them successfully. Uh, he's trying very hard in an imbalanced way to order things. And that's, that's exactly the same impression we had when we were watching this. Um, and then it's also like there's an undercurrent of anger, but he's missing out on the higher transcendent value and getting lost in the things below. Especially when you see that this is a bit of Peterson's style. Uh, also, we love so much of Peterson's work when it comes to psychology, psychological insights and connecting it to stories, to narrative, to mythology, to biblical stories. But there is still this problem when he tries to create the overall picture with this scientific left hemispheric approach you you see how it's 
uh, it becomes lacking. It becomes too narrow and you become stuck in the one part of your brain and it becomes unbalanced. Even if he tries so hard, uh, this might on the side partly be when he talks about his um, his uh, his fear of taking the step and, and kind of this uh, the leap of faith and to take the biblical stories really to to think that they're really true is terrifying, but this is how the left hemisphere works. For the right hemisphere, this is not terrifying at all. It's relaxed, natural, and you can do it incrementally, and you can visit it, and then you can, and then you can go go back for, from it as well. So uh, that's just like a little bit of uh, of how Peterson is is very much a pioneer in many ways, but he made this choice when he was in the his in his own words. In his late teens or early 20s that he wanted to understand kind of everything and then he looked at the humanities the social sciences philosophy but he discarded that and then he decided that you have to go at the level of psychology to understand what's really it's happening or like how pe people are working and how the world is working uh, but there is something that becomes often or sometimes uh, evident is that there are sh uh, limitations to that to that analytical, scientific, psychological approach. Okay, so uh, that was kind of the main thoughts about the Logos. So it's a joy to watch. It becomes a bit too narrow, a bit too angry, but it also shows if we just have Peterson and then if you could have another big figure like him that is more balanced or more right hemisphere based, that would be like the maybe like the perfect combination of two two strains of thoughts creating in like these incredible things coming out from that so so that was that also want to say one thing it reminded us a little bit about uh, the zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance by Piersig like a classic book because what he describes so incredible in his in his book is how he in, in our view, he's a little bit of a mystic by nature, but he tries to use his analytical scientific left brain to explain the bigger concept of the Tao or of, of the ground of being. And he eventually uh, goes, like he, he gets a mental disease, he goes insane, he's submitted to hospital, he has uh, lots of like, brain zapping. But, but you see, if you read the book, you see how he is aware of what he's doing for example with naming and defining things too uh, too precisely for example with the Tao that if you and this goes to the opening of the the, the poem the Tao like the Tao that can be named is not the real Tao so it goes to this thing that if you start uh, defining things too much with word then your left hemisphere is at work and then you pull it more and more out of your right hemisphere and then you lose the overall uh, apprehension of of the topic and of the mystery of the beyond of the transcendent and you make it something tangible and you make kind of an idol out of it in some ways and this is a very delicate balance and it, that balance is described both in terms of how in the Jewish tradition you can only say the name you can only you have a, a word for kind of the, the, the divinity but you can only use it once like the high priest can use it once in the most holy room in the temple or the tabernacle uh, and that is precisely uh, describing or expressing that concept that you shouldn't use a word too much because then it changes and becomes 
something kind of left hemispheric and an idea in your head that you control and that you contain and delineate and then you lost what the word is supposed to point towards. So, uh, yeah, that was the last reflection on the Ephesus speech by Jordan Peterson on the Logos, which again is highly recommended, both for all the great things in it and also for what could be added to make it even more great. Okay, so last part of this episode is just a bit more relaxed, laid back, uh, pondering reflection on a tercet or three tercets uh, from Dante's Paradiso. And this is a little bit of input for the year, a new year 2023, and it's it's a deep concept or an overall idea of how the spiritual might work and kind of the nature of it and this gradual uh, expansion of it when you start looking into things and we kind of start growing in, the, in this respect. So he says in Paradise 18, Canto 18, Song 18, Chapter 18, he says here, I can recall just this about that moment. I was gazing at her there, which is Beatrice. I know my, my heart was freed of every other longing. For the eternal joy was shining straight into my Beatrice's face, and back came its reflection, filling me with joy. And just remember, Beatrice is kind of a symbol of the spiritual life, intuition, insight, the beyond the mystery, and she's connected with the divine. And then comes the main, main tercet here. Then, with a smile whose radiance dazzled me, she said, Now turn around and listen well. Not in my eyes alone is paradise. So this is the moment in the paradise, almost in the middle of the book. Before this, the, uh, the pilgrim is always looking into her eyes as the portal. So she's also the symbol of a portal into like spiritual wisdom. So he always has to look at her eyes to to get kind of into it and to get the, the the impression, the apprehension, the experience of of something divine and of the spiritual. But then as he keeps growing in this and he gets more used to it and understands more, he learns more as he ascends through the spheres. This is the point where she says, now you don't have to look into my eyes anymore. Now it is everywhere. It's everywhere around you. And it's a way of expressing that once you get used to it and it be becomes something that you more, um, it becomes not integrated, but it becomes something that becomes a natural part of how you see and experience the world and being in itself. You don't have to focus necessarily on something spiritual, on your favorite poem or a story or an idea necessarily. It becomes something that is kind of blended with how you just see the world and how you see like the, the, the landscape in front of you or the room around you, it becomes a permanent presence in your, your being, in your mind. And that's kind of a, a major threshold in, in, uh, in the journey towards like <laughs> in the paradise and also to have a more richer and fuller and also more balanced apprehension of the world. So that is uh, kind of a stunning moment when she says, it's not just in my eyes anymore. Now it is everywhere. And hopefully that can be a little bit of an uh, inspiration or input for 2023, that this is something that, that uh, likely or could or, or will happen uh, if you 
start looking into these things. So with that, that was our recommendation for Hill State College courses. Excellent quality. Some thoughts on Jordan Peterson and his speech on Logos. And also the Terset meditation with Dante. So with that, thank you so much for listening. Hope you're still having a fantastic beginning of the new year, 2nd of January. And the best wishes for the next few weeks and months and just towards the spring and summer. And as always, uh, thanks so much for tuning in. And see you again in the next episode. Oh,